I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have a Welcome, everyone. Uh, greetings from Beyond Radio. I'm your host, as usual, Rich Valdez, and my co-host, Vicki Burnett. Say hi, Vicki. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to say hi because you told me to. Okay. I'm say hello. Don't say hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, as usual, if, you, if you're not viewing us on YouTube, shame on you. But anyways, uh, I'll explain to you how you can get to our YouTube page in a few. Um, you can find us on all major podcasts like Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon Music, Podcast Index, The Parallax One, iHeart Radio. Yes, iHeart Radio. Samsung Podcasts, Listen Notes. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Pandora, and there's more to come. It's just that we ran out of space, as you can see. Um, but here's the good thing about it, though: um, we, we're 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 on on YouTube. If if for those of you listening to us on all of those podcast pl platforms that I just mentioned, uh, want to see the show, please by all means follow us on YouTube. Just look for us. Greetings from Beyond Radio, and you're good to go. Uh, so let's get right to it because, you know, I, I, we were supposed to have Evelyn last week, but unfortunately due to unforeseen circumstances, she could not make it to the show, but this time we have her and I'm going to make this hour stretch as much as I possibly can. I'm going to put on my eyes because I got a lot of notes and every, she has quite the, the portfolio. So, um, first off, she's a parapsychologist, a due time winning Grammy award writer, um, expert consultant for TV and radio that features the paranormal. So, with no further ado, help me welcome to the show, Evelyn Hollow, straight from Scotland. Hello, Evelyn. So, we have plenty of questions for you, and I'm a gentleman, ladies first. Uh, Vicki, take the reins. Well, first of all, I have to tell you, last week when you were going to be on the show, I started doing all my research and stuff. I became a huge fan. I was obsessed. I was watching everything I could find, any podcasts that I could find that you had been on. Um, so I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to have you on the show. Um, there's so many things that I looked at in your different interviews, but... Um, one of the things that I found the most interesting is I'm starting myself to get more interested in poltergeist and poltergeist activity. 
And I know that you have added more stages than some of the other professionals have as to the different stages of a poltergeist haunting. So could you explain a little bit more about that? Definitely. Um, so traditionally, there's a couple of different scales for categorizing um, a poltergeist because it's, it's, it's very specific. Um, a poltergeist differs from other, you know, regular phenomena like ghosts, and we have to be able to say how do we classify a poltergeist. So traditionally, um, there was I think sort of three stages. There were there's five stages. Um, but I found that through working on various poltergeist cases, most famously the Battersea poltergeist, um, that we did a show for on, on BBC Video 4, that there's some cases that had um, much more nuanced phenomena that people have kind of glossed over. And um, so I decided to expand that um, and make it seven stages of poltergeist. Um, and, you know, the main sort of ones that people missed were um, apporting and disapporting of objects, where objects flip in and out of existence. Um, and also, usually these poltergeist cases start before the obvious phenomena. So they start with noises in the wall that kind of sound like rats scratching and things like that. And then even before that, you can have objects and things appear as well, which we had in the Vatican poltergeist case. So um, I extended it to, to seven stages and it's um, part of a larger body of work that I'm working on where we're looking to classify phenomena. Because the problem in the paranormal is that, you know, how do we all agree on what is a poltergeist? How do we all agree on, um, you know, what is fate, what is um, demonic activity, what is a ghost, what is a spirit? So I'm in the middle of several years now building a manuscript that is a classification of paranormal phenomenon that is part of that. Fascinating. You know, it's funny. I, I believe it was what two shows ago, Vicky, we actually were covering poltergeists and um, we, we just, we like to banter back and forth and um I kept coming back to the fact that it's a phenomenon depending on the situation. You know, granted, you're going to have poltergeist activity, but what's really causing it? What's behind it? Is it living? Is it dead? Or I don't want to call dead, you know, dearly departed. Let's call them that. And um, I, I tend to find, at least in, in my 36 years of investigating the paranormal, it's usually attached to a child that's going through adolescence at the time or someone that's even pregnant uh, that just happens to be causing the activity. It's, it's not for a very long period of time. It's for a very short, limited time. Sometimes I've seen some go for three months at the longest. But that was a discussion that Vicky and I got into a few weeks ago. And she kept saying, what, you're, you're female sh shaming? I'm like, Hell no, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm sure that it happens to to males as well. And it, it's just that when it comes to poltergeist living, poltergeist activity, it usually surrounds it around a child, a female child, because it happened around my daughter when she was going through adolescence. And I was like, this is some wacky crap here going on. And I, I just I couldn't wrap my brain, my brain around it. She actually stopped four stopped uh, stoplights that we were heading to and everything on my CD just started going crazy and it landed on one of my favorite songs, Rob Zombie's, you know, demon speeding. 
And I was like, I'm not speeding. I'm stopped because the lights are going red, yellow, and green. What the heck? But it was it was really interesting to say at least. That lasted for a month with her. Um, what do you feel? Where have you found that there's usually most poltergeist activity going on, living or dead? So you're right in the, the residential focus around adolescences. And so we see that most poltergeist phenomena is around teenagers, young adolescents, preteens. And, and one of the ideas is that they're attracted to the sort of turbulence and chaos um, of, you know, being a teenager, high emotions, things like that. Um, you're also looking at being more impressionable and not these things have an agenda or whether there's something unresolved that's, that's causing them. The other ideas are SPK, so recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. And this is that the person themselves are actually causing the poltergeist. They don't know they're doing it, but there's some people believe that if a person is going through a lot of emotional stress, and like you said, that could be pregnancy, um, it could be just a turbulence being a teenager and being angry all the time and something really happening in their personal life that that manifests as zero-sum energy, which then has a psychokinetic um, interference with the environment. So they themselves are actually creating the poltergeist. And those are the sort of two schools of thought. But yeah, definitely, we, it seems to be focused around adolescents and, and teenagers, probably anyone from you know, 10 to sort of 15, 16, that teenager is back in the And um, You're also right that most cases are more short-lived, so you know, a couple of months, maybe even six months. And um, there are longer cases. I went to poltergeist, and um, it is literally known as the holy grail of poltergeist cases because it lasted ten years. It's the longest poltergeist ever in history. There's no other case like it, and so it is. You know, some of these cases are insane to work on because three to six months worth of terror is is enough for anybody. And um, you know, drive you insane. But, but ten years, ten years worth of phenomena, and um, it was a huge, it was a huge thing to work on. And um, I think it was the, it was the case also that I worked on that propelled me from being somebody who did guest lectures and writing articles and things like that to to being on the news and on um, this morning and uh, on the news in Australia and things like that. And there was a smash hit radio show podcast made about it that went viral, and then um, we were on stage and it kind of just everybody became really obsessed with it because these cases are, are so rare but um poltergeist cases are the most shocking i think of all the phenomena that we see well my question would be because here in the states and the well let's first clarify the reason i got on rich is because he used an absolute and he said always which <laughs> I, you can't use absolutes too often so let's let's go ahead and and call that out but why do you seem to see more poltergeist activity in the UK, in those areas, as opposed to the United States, we only have a few cases in the United States. Why do you think an area might have more cases of poltergeist? So, uh, I think I've that once before, which is a, and it's, and it's a really interesting question because there's other types of phenomena that happen more so in the States than here, you know, kind of vice versa. Um, I think. So one of the explanations potentially look at for these cases is that um, poltergeists are accepted to be something that is um, left its corporeal body, so it's a form of consciousness that sort of lingered on, and then as it manifests, it draws more and more power, and then it goes from being you know, a spectre or a spirit to a ghost, and then it 
it gets more and more powerful and then it gets so much power it can throw tables across the room, it can attack people. When something's to become that powerful, a lot of people need that to be around for a long time, you know, sort of accumulating power, however it may be that. And it's a case that um, in terms of, you know, the infrastructure in the UK, some of these places like the buildings are a lot older, so a lot of the old places in America are like the 1920s, maybe the 1890s. But here in Scotland, when we say old, we mean like the 1500s, we mean like 1400s. So, um, although America has always been populated long um, before that, First Nations and then before that as well, presumably, um, they probably do have their own versions of also guys um, in their own, their own cultures. But in modern America, the buildings and the things that you live in and the places that you live in um, are, are not older. I mean, literally, coming in my first flat that I lived in as a student was living a Declaration of Independence. And stuff in Scotland, like I, my this apartment that I'm sitting in is a great B-listed building and church was from the 1300s, and that's old. It's an original to us. So I wonder if it's the thing where there's not been enough. Um, the, the density of population in the states has not been around enough, or maybe it's simply that they're attracted to, to different things. You know, the the ancient sites that we have here in the UK, the monoliths, the standing stones, sites of Avalon, and um, some of the first witches, uh, the ancient practices, the things that you associate. The UK is an incredibly mythologically dense, a true ancient place, and maybe that's why. We have more cases here. I would imagine, I would agree with her there, the energy alone and the history that Scotland offers would be more than enough to infuse any child or any any situation, any home that may have poltergeist activity with even more power. So that's to be expected. And I, I have something to bring up, something that I admire about you, Evelyn. You have brought back a fashion statement on the show, Haunted Scotland. And Jen has the picture for us right there. Look at her sporting the trench coat. Let's go back to the trench. Look at that. I love a good coat. I love a good coat. Yes. I wore that coat on um, on season one and on, um, we've not long finished filming um, second season of the show. Uh, and I, uh, it's actually, my jacket's it's actually hanging up there um, behind me. But yeah, a lot of my wardrobe is very like 40s, 50s kind of style stuff. I'm at home at the moment, so it's not, but it's usually like sort of 40s, 50s style stuff. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I do get that a lot, but people are like, you don't really like, you know, I, I love it. <laughs> they were expecting, I... um, you know, kind of uh, people who are kind of dressed like, um, what's that famous restaurant, uh, store or whatever it is, like, so they've got this sort of set image of people who work in the paranormal are. Um, and then, you know, often I can address them like full 1950s sort of stuff. I, like, <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's see. Is, oh, uh, is the saying from Chrissy Morales? I gotta, I'm going to have to put my four eyes on. Is she saying that poltergeist is more prevalent because the buildings are older? Would you say that they are only present in older buildings? Not necessarily because poltergeists um, don't always there is um, poltergeists that are situated or attached to buildings. So this may be what we would call, you know, a haunted house per se. 
doesn't matter who is in there, everybody or almost everybody is going to experience phenomena because they're localised to the building. But there's been quite a few poltergeist cases where they've attached to a person, and so it doesn't matter if that person moves around, if they go to a job, if they move house, um, um, it's attached to them. But it's just that in terms of when we think about why poltergeist activity is prevalent in, um, in older places, the UK versus in America, one of the ideas is that it's because of how old um, the settlements are, you know, how old the graveyards are, how old um, the buildings are, what they've seen during the parental stone tape theory, this idea that our environment absorbs the sort of emotional trauma of situations and that under certain circumstances it's replayed. And so that would mean that if it's a building with lots of trauma, lots of war, violence, things like that, it's absorbing all of that. And then that's why these places become haunted. But the other idea would be kind of that if you go into a modern building in America, um, you're unlikely to go, oh, this is haunted. But if I walk into an old building in Scotland that's been around since the 1300s and things like that, um, you know, I mean, they're out of castles and things like that. People just casually live in castles here, that's a thing. Um, and so you would go in and be like, yeah, this place is haunted. So some of it might be psychological planning, and some of it might also be how the history of the land is. That does have a lot to do with it. I, I have a question for you myself. Um, what link have you found between quantum physics, human consciousness, and the paranormal? So this was the kind of thing that led me into the paranormal. And um, originally, before I was a parapsychologist, I was a forensic psychologist. And I was always interested, whilst I was doing my first degree, my bachelor's, I was always interested in consciousness. And I thought it was the last great frontier of psychology, just the last great unexplained thing. And it would irrevocably change everything in human history if we were able to solve traumas and hard problems of consciousness. And I started to step back and look at how consciousness could be um, how consciousness could be explained, how we could understand what it is. And I started to believe that it wasn't something that was localized to the brain or something that's accessed externally like a sort of cloud function essentially. Um, that actually it might be uh, localized individual particles or molecules and that when this is all together it forms under certain conditions we end up with consciousness and if consciousness is molecular if it's individual particles then it's not governed by classical physics it has to be governed by quantum physics and if that's the case then all of this strange phenomena that you see like also how can an invisible force throw a table across a room when you start looking at that, suddenly a lot of it started to make sense because we know there are particles that can blip in and out of existence. We don't understand where they go, but that's a, that's a factor of consciousness. We also know that time is very different. And, uh, you know, when we talk about space time and things being stretched out, how time governs these things, we also know that things can exist in multiple positions at once and they collapse at once. All of this sort of entanglement as well, we also know that things bound together can go light years across distances and react at the same time. I mean, Einstein himself literally called this the action at a distance because it was like nothing. And it's not, it's just quantum physics. So I think if you accept that consciousness is molecular or particles and is governed by the quantum, then suddenly all this really weird phenomena that people think is magic and, and and, and you know, and sort of make fun of it and think that it's impossible, suddenly lots of it 
becomes just very forceful and very rational. And so I started working with Paul Stephen, uh, this overarching kind of Stephen that I'll probably spend my whole fucking life working on. And um, I, uh, I swapped my speciality. Um, I was lucky enough that I had a supervising professor who had a PhD in psychology from Edinburgh University, one of the best universities in the world. And um, he was able to supervise me. So I was able to teach my degree and then I did my master's. And I've, I've been there ever since. I was a lecturer for a couple of years and then still guest lecture sometimes. And, and then I accidentally found myself doing television and radio and things like that. But, um, but that was where I started. I think that you know, I'll, probably, I'll probably die trying to solve that. But um, that's, my, that's my quest. That's my holy grail. Well, all you had to do really is show them your trench coat and, and your PhD. <laughs> that's it. You know, just go like that. And it's like, show, please, now. Okay. Vicky, do you have so a question? What, so what you're, you're <laughs> saying, and, and I saw you earlier in a podcast. Yes, I was watching again today, too. Um, I, someone years ago that I work with on my team pointed out that we're, it's futile to try to prove the paranormal with scientific means because it's not scientific. It doesn't follow the laws. So again, you reiterated that in one of your interviews that if it is operating on this molecular level, it's not going to follow the laws. So the only thing you can do with your science is to prove that it's not scientific. Like in other words, um, you can use something to prove that at that time, there was nobody else in the room. Therefore, an EVP might exist because you have scientifically proved no one else has talked, nothing else happened in the room. But you can't really use scientific method to prove it. You can only use it to disprove that it's not scientific. And I found yeah, so that very the, interesting. So the, the, the first thing there is that people are, it's a bit like having, you know, it's a bit, the thing is that science is to be sure that you're measuring what you're supposed to be measuring, first of all, and second of all, that you're measuring it with the correct thing. So if I have, you know, if I have a, a room um, that's filled with, that's uh, uh, filled with a radiated particle, say I have a box and it has a radiated particles and a radiated protons or whatever, um, and I look at the box, there's nothing in it about the individual particles, and I look at it and I'm like, well, I've looked at it with my eyes and I've seen that there's, there's nothing in it. Um, that doesn't mean there's nothing in it. Do you know what I mean? If I put a counter on the box and it goes off, we're like, okay, there's good detecting radiation, so the particles are radiated. If you're trying to measure things in the paranormal with the wrong tools, it's going to be really easy to come back and like, there's nothing there. Because you're assuming that everything that we are currently up to in science is, 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 is it. Do you know what I mean? We are literally all the time discovering new particles, getting closer to understanding how things like antimatter work, you know, quarks, neutrinos, and um, the Higgs boson, however many years ago that was. We didn't know that existed until we built Mass Hadron Collider. Um, and so there's this kind of assumption that we'll never be able to, to prove the paranormal mm -hmm. because we are at the frontier of all scientific advancement. And if we haven't found more answers by now, then we never will, which is nonsense. And it also goes against the scientific principle because our jobs are to disprove things, not prove them. As a scientist, my job is to go in and rule out what it is not so that I can be told that not of what it is. That is literally the principle of science. 
And I was a lecturer in scientific methodology for however many years. And in this, I constantly try to drill this into students that your job is to go in and be able to come back and say, it's not this. Um, and then we can get closer and closer and closer to it. So when you go in assuming you test something that you didn't find it, you can't come back and be like, well, it didn't exist. But that's, that's nonsense, but people want that instant gratification of being able to validate what they experience instead of understanding that as everything else in science, it's a process, it's a method. Yeah, I know I've been saying for years in the absence of normal, there's paranormal. In the absence of natural, there's supernatural. And, you know, the person who doesn't, they're not in the field and, and they don't deal with hauntings and they don't try to help families. They don't quite understand that I'm not out to prove that these things absolutely exist. I'm here to prove and to help the people who are experiencing things. Much like, I mean, a poltergeist haunting in particular is, is terrifying. Um, the level of things that are happening on a consistent basis, it's unbelievable that anybody could live, let alone 10 plus years with activity like that happening. Um, but I just think that it's, it's important for people to understand scientifically, we are looking at things that don't necessarily follow those laws. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um <clears throat> we're trying to measure um some of the paranormal or most of the paranormal with classical physics and in my opinion we should be measuring more of it with quantum physics and um, we know that uh you know in, in classical physics large objects like with glass you shouldn't be able to blip in and out of existence but we know that there are individual particles that do blip in and out of existence so is it possible that if something was composed of enough particles or behaved under certain conditions that something larger could be in that existence per se? And just, we just don't know yet, but that's the point that we have to get there. But we do understand that there are building block points in the natural world, in the scientific world, in as hard a scientific world as you could possibly get in physics. Um, and we know that individually these things do them. Um, so, you know, isn't it? Should we be looking at, um, okay, well, how big an object can we get to look at? How, um, you know, how certain things behave in the universe? Under what conditions? And can those conditions be replicated in other things? Um, I think that's you know what we, what we should be looking at. Um, and the thing is that people were looking at this a while ago. So I think in the eighties, the nineties, and um, there was a book. There's two books, but one in particular is um, Margins of Reality. And um, was written by two of probably the best scientists of their day. These guys were head of the aeronautics division at Princeton University. They were phenomenal scientists, great mathematicians. They always looked at the margins of reality and basically looked at the point in which, um, you know, consciousness in particular and trying to understand it started to interact kind of with physics. And then they started to look at, well, does this not start to explain strange and anomalous phenomena? Um, and then later on, you had um, Rosenblum um, wrote a book called Quantum Enigma, where he um, and, his, and his partner started to specifically look at um, consciousness, perhaps, you know, sort of as being uh, not governed by classical physics, essentially. And um, so we know that people had started to look at this. I mean, some of these people are like the absolute leading scientists, um, and yet when we talk to to a lot of people about this, as soon as they hear the word paranormal or whatever they just tune out, 
um, when I do guest lectures at universities, I always put anomalous phenomena because that's just any sort of strange, you know, unexplained phenomena. Because if I put paranormal, you automatically go into this preconceived priming effect to not listen to anything you have to say, they literally just switch off. And, you know, I've had so many people challenging, as a young female in particular, it's already going to be uphill the whole way anyway. But um, yeah, work as a parapsychologist, um, you know, and I was like, you know, like I'm not, I, I didn't walk in from somewhere and be like, oh, I'm interested in ghosts and I'm lecturing in it. Like I have a master's degree in this. I was a university lecturer. I was a forensicologist before this. I studied and written and lectured on extensively on quantum physics and things like that. And, and just because I chose to focus that interest on paranormal, it also has to you know, tune out and think, oh, that's, you know, it's pseudoscience and it's, and it's nonsense. And there's this attitude that people who are hardcore skeptics are the scientists. And the people who are not hardcore skeptics are simply unscientific. They don't understand science. Um, like if you, so the, the person I work with the most is Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, an extremely well-respected parapsychologist, um, absolutely comes from the field. Great guy. And, and he's a hardcore skeptic. He'd like to believe, um, but he is a hardcore skeptic. And it's usually him that I work with on sort of big shows. And um, it's that, yeah, you want to see the, the questions, because the questions and the attitudes between between me and Kieran are like night and day. Because this idea that um, believing in the paranormal is irrational, uh, instead of going, okay, well, what if this phenomenon is true, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, like unseen magic. Maybe there is a scientific, scientific answer behind it. How can we say this, how can we look at this? Um, and this, there's just this idea that it's unscientific, it's unscientific and that if you're not going to rule a paranormal, then that, like, that is scientific. And you know, as I was on all the cases I've ever worked on, I've probably only fully endorsed them as being paranormal maybe 30% of the time. The rest of the time, I think it could maybe, it could maybe be probably more likely something else. But 30% of the time that my job is usually that I'm hired on shows to come in as more of the believer because I argue for it potentially being the paranormal. Um, but yeah, you want to see just the ludicrous attitudes from some people um, who just, as soon as they hear it, just you know, assume. I was like, I'm also a scientist. <laughs> like, I used to literally lecture in scientific methodology. You want to see people mansplaining scientific methodology. I was like, I was lecturing this at 23. So, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I think people just tune out as soon as they hear the paranormal. Whereas to me, it just means I, I find everything you've just said to be spot on, but I'd also like the, the approach that you've chosen to take because you yourself are a believer or you wouldn't have studied parapsychology, gotten your master's in it from what I understand. Uh, but you, your approach is not to be a skeptic because that's practically how it's approached by parapsychology nowadays. Uh, you've chosen to instead, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening, but you're not knocking everything down at the same time, which is very helpful, which kind of leads me to my next question. And, and let me see if I can jar your memory a little bit here with a picture, and then I'll just start reading something out to you. So you're at Hunter Square, where an old lady... <laughs> well, yeah, I knew at Hunter Square. Now... In this picture, yeah. she's about yeah. to eat a cat, but in this one, 
it's tough. But did she kind of look like that? Because I got this off of Hellboy too, by the way. Um, was that what you saw? <laughs> yes, but is that basically what you saw? So this, yeah, this 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 story um, is probably the first uh, of my own, you know, first and only of my own ghost story I told publicly on a show, um, and I told it live on stage when we were doing Buster Guys live, and um, and Nigel and that from uh, the paranormal um, heard about it, I think, and uh, they asked me about it in an interview, and uh, and now I get asked about it in every interview. <laughs> Um, so, well, yeah, so I mean, basically what happened was Hunter's Grave, Roller Golf Kids used to hang out when we were teenagers. We sit on the steps, I think it skipped school to go and buy comic books. I was drinking coffee, I was sitting on the steps. There was a lady who looked quite, quite clearly homeless, but like a bad lady, she's quite disheveled. Um, and she um, was eating some pigeons in Hunter's Square. I didn't think anything of it. And then I noticed that the pigeons were sort of hopping into her hands, and I thought she must feed them all up. And um, next minute she picks this pigeon up and she starts stroking it. And I was like, oh, that's cute. And then um, she looks like she was going to kiss the pigeon. And so I'm fascinated, so I'm sitting watching this. Bearing in mind, the hunter square is packed. It's a square with a big set of steps, and I'm not, um, not so much busy, but that a lot of business people would come to eat their lunch and people would sit on the steps. So it's, it's quite busy. And um, I'm watching her, and next minute she brings this pigeon towards her face, and I think she's going to kiss it on the head. She just like <laughs> unhinged her jaw, and then she bit, put the whole pigeon in her mouth, and I'm frozen in terror. And she bit down, and when she bit down, of course, I went like that. And uh, just for a second, it was, and then looked up, and she was gone. All the pigeons were still there. None of them had flown away, they were all there, and they were all still eating the bread or seed or whatever, or biscuit, it was like crushed biscuit or whatever, was thrown on the ground. They were all still eating it. And I'm looking around again. I don't blame you. All the else still sitting on their phone, not a single person reacted. And she's gone, and it's a big open square. Bear in mind, she was um, quite an older lady, quite disheveled, and she was sort of, she was sort of meandering, sort of limping. I doubt she could have ran, even if she'd wanted to. She has. It was uh, probably less than a second away, like that. And it's a big open square, and there's nowhere for her to go, but not another pigeon to disturb. And it's not like, oh, I hallucinated, and, or I had some sort of psychotic episode or whatever, because they were still eating the stuff on the ground that she had watched until that. It was like brown sort of basket over it, but it was still eating it. And I was like, what just the what? <laughs> like, and I still never made sense of it to this day. And I, I, mean, I, was, I was quite young at the time, I was a teenager. I think the thing that stuck in my head was I was home and I think I, I sort of mentioned it to my mum. My I probably told it down a bit because she thought I was completely off my head. And she just <laughs> me, you know, like it was words to the effect of like, she was there, but she was not here, or something like that. She was here, but she wasn't there, and I instantly knew what she meant. As in, she was there, but she wasn't here. If you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I think about that all the time. The so it was. I get asked about that a lot. So it was like parallel. Like, is it safe to say? I mean, now being an adult, thinking back, were you? capturing a glimpse of a parallel universe and no one else could see it but you i don't know what i saw i think um, 
Yeah, some of the theories that I've heard from some of yours are that there's that sort of like parallel, you know, sort of bubble universe. Something slipped through, I saw something I shouldn't have done. More traditionalist views would be, especially in Scotland, would be that I didn't see a ghost. I saw or a person from another timeline, I saw a creature. I eventually saw something that could shift or things like that. And it was one of the few places in the world where people see things during the day in broad daylight. There's other ghosts, um, quite famously, that people see just walking through like marketplaces on a Sunday, things like that. These aren't things that just like that time. Um, <clears throat> it's not the case that you live here, tourists as well as on private tours, and I mentioned this, and I'll literally watch tourists go like, grab the partner and be like, that lady that we saw. Like people say that there are muscles and things and just walking around and they'll just see somebody, you know, instantly that, that person is not living, like that person is not here. Um, and, that, and it happens more often. I think there's a lot of people who probably don't say anything. Um, but over the years, I know when I started to talk to people in Edinburgh in particular, and I mentioned this thing about the sort of daytime ghost story thing, people were like, oh yeah, that person. Like, do you see people who are clearly not here? Some people say, yeah, when they mean not here, they mean like sort of transparent, a you know, wraith sort of ghost like. Some people are like, no, no, you literally feel like you are clearly dead, like walking around. But that, I've heard that... that from probably, you know, I've like a dozen people over the years, so I'm like, is that is that what I saw? I don't know. It, I have two questions. What comics were you reading? Because I'm an Advent comic collector still to this day, and also, uh. With that much history in, in Scotland, could it have been Fae, uh, you know, something from the Fae world? And it just, just like that. Because you said you, you just did this and it was gone. But first, the comic book, I need to hear. And um, the comic book was being out that And um, so I would have been, you know, between 13 and 15 at the time, I think, probably closer to 15. I, I, I don't remember what year it was, but, and um, so the Umbrella Cabinet is, um, uh, is the conflict written by Gerard Way. Um, I'm a big Mike Chemical Romance fan. I grew up listening to him as a teenager, a good writer that I fan. And then he created the series with Gabriela and um, James Jean doing all the, the cover up for it. And I collected all the issues right from free comics and say, my dad used to order me the special ones off of eBay. And I, I got them in a box, every single color, every single alternative color, lithographs, size, whatever, graded box. Um, but yeah, there was uh, an issue that had come out and um, there was two of them variant cover and so I specifically skipped school to go to a bit of planet during the day because I knew if I was there early enough I could get both because likely one of them is going to sell out and then it would be more money to get it on eBay. I had to have both because I was a collector. And yeah, it was, it was the Umbrella Academy um, long before it was a TV show or anything like that. Um, but yeah, your second question. And um, yeah, somebody has suggested that to me because the first thing you know to in any sort of shape shifting things, especially in Scotland and well in any Celtic nation, Scotland or Ireland, is the thing. And um, which the people still believe in, especially in the Highlands and especially in more rural areas, um, the borders of Scotland and in Ireland. People still do things um, to not piss them off. And um, you know, um, one of my former partners used to always leave stuff out for the brownie, which when we cooked meals, you'd have small dish, probably the size of a coaster, and you would leave like a mouthful of food on it, and you would leave it out. And you're not supposed to leave more because you can offend them. But you're extended the food and leave them out um, so that uh, they can operate. And what they do is they like, keep your house tidy and pesky and, and things don't break. And they're sort of like a little invisible caretaker. Yeah, lots of 
Scotland will still practice folk beliefs because they believe in the saviour in, in Scotland and, and people have suggested that to me, is that what I saw? I don't know what the hell I saw, I just was kind of terrifying. That was a... Well, I would, I, I'd be terrified too if I saw something like that. Uh, and one thing I've learned, here in the States, we don't really have many elemental cases, but I know Vicky and I both have worked together and, and separately. Vicky has had some stories of herself where she's come across a lot of elemental spirits, fae, whatever you wish to call them. Um, and I, I would imagine that runs more prominent in, in Scotland because, of course, people do actually respect fae elementals there more than anything else. Do, do you feel that if there was more of that here in the States, I mean, things would be, I, I me personally, I believe uh, it would be a lot calmer, peaceful, uh, than other places because there's too many stories that come to us Vicky and I of uh, Indian burial mounds being disturbed burial grounds and I know they have you know the Native Americans here have always had a long lasting relationship with elementals is there there seems to be from what you indicated some sort of respect for Fae and elementals in scotland and do you being you yourself pagan do you feel that that comes in well together and there is shown respect throughout your your one wonderful I, it's one of my bucket list lands by the way that i want to go visit and if i go visit definitely jen and i we're going to be hanging with you because you know where to go <laughs> um scotland is um yeah i mean like you say we point out you know the first nations of the native americans and their um, their tie, they do that, and, and so hence the the elementals and you know believing in governing forces of the land, having this mutual relationship with it. It's really about respecting the earth, which is um, and your environment and nature, and understanding that nature is a more powerful force, is the only powerful force in existence essentially, and um, and that is at its core a very similar and so I think that's probably why we have such a prevailing um, history of elementals, but also um, these traditions and sort of folk traditions with the both here in Scotland and in Ireland, because they're two ancient, truly ancient Celtic pagan nations. And we were a predominantly pagan nation, as were Ireland until Christian colonisation. And um, I'm not sure that Ireland, but definitely Scotland in particular, is like under a massive pagan revival. I know more witches in Edinburgh than I have ever known in my life. It's like every other week I go to a bar and I run into someone and they're like, oh, wow, witch mountain in hand. They're coming out of the woodwork. And um, you've got, so, well, I mean, Edinburgh in particular is the city of ghosts. She's the most haunted city in the world, so people are drawn here. And if you look everywhere, all over Scotland, their relationship to the land. Um, to, to respecting nature, to leaving offerings. You'll, you'll come across these little, what we call fairymans all the time. People say in the forest, there'll be a little clearing or something like a broken tree, and there'll be little mounds with coins and offerings and tobacco and maybe drawings and cards. These are everywhere, they're very revered. And my father, I would have classes of a but he was extremely strict when I was a child. You were not to touch these, you were, you were to always leave something, always. So I have left everything tobacco, smoke, they're also on jewelry, coins, anything when you can. I find one, and um, my father was the same, and you were absolutely not to touch anything. And there are a few shrines all over Scotland, just 
underneath, usually the forest. And so essentially to kneel gods and to defend and people honour them and, and treat them with respect. And I think, yeah, you're right, maybe the, the lack of respect for compassion for the land is, I think, what causes great turbulence in people's lives because they always say they feel better, you know, when they're outdoors and when they're housing with plants and they're growing things and they're doing things. So they understand they have a role in the cycle of play. And I think when you don't have that, you get into this kind of cognitive dissonance, this kind of um, nihilistic, enlightening chaos of nothing matters, I don't matter, I have no control, you know, you live, you do some stuff, you die, it doesn't matter. And I think once you understand that you're part of the cycle, even if you don't do anything, a weed still has, a weed is still incredibly important in the life cycle of the earth that it grows in. Once you under, once you participate in that something, I think there's a calmness here, I think that's why you know, if you look at how much, um, I mean, it's not like Scotland doesn't have its own problems, it certainly does. Um, but I think in terms of getting maybe um, in comparison to the chaos in, in America, um, maybe that's why, you know, maybe you'd have less chaos if, if people weren't really destructive to everything around them and understood and respected that she will take it all back on you. It doesn't matter how many monkey guns you own, you can't shoot down a hurricane. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter, yeah. but you have no control, you can gain as much power artificially as you think you have, but the only power is nature, is the natural cycle and the forces, those are the only governing forces, and they don't care who you are, or who you marry, or who you fuck, or what you eat, or how many guns you own, it doesn't matter, so you have to understand being part of that cycle. Yeah, I know that with my experiences, I'm one of the people that I consider extremely fortunate that I can see elementals and, and all of those. And my first encounter, I gave them my bracelet. I took my bracelet off of my hand that a friend had given me and I gave it to them. I hung it back on a little tree branch where they were hanging out. And the only way I can explain it is the respect that I had for them have been, it's been returned to me a thousand fold, including during one investigation, it was after my mom passed away and I was outside and all of a sudden I was surrounded and they came, one of them came up to me and he put his little hand on my arm and he said, it's going to be okay. And he was referring to the whole situation with my mom passing and what we were waiting for. And I just started crying. But once you make the connection and you show the respect to them, they give it back and it doesn't matter which ones I come across. It's kind of like they have like a Google search. Oh yeah, Vicky, she's okay. She can say this. And they just keep giving back. I just wish that people would acknowledge them and respect them and realize how important they actually are. Okay. So regardless of also the elementals is also just like honoring the kind of folk traditions that people used to have where you put up like a line You'd build before you don't have something allowed, you'd put up the four corners and if they were still standing more, it was okay to build the house because the land or you know, whether you call them elementals, folklore, fame, things like that, um, permitted it, especially so it's these lack of folk traditions that people don't have maybe because they lack a historical culture or knowledge of their own culture. And so they're missing these folk traditions. How does this fit into the grand scheme of everything when it comes to the paranormal? I feel that we, there's been such a disconnect as of late and especially I can, you know, Vicky and I can 
testify to this in the states there's been more of an evangelical movement here and they've pushed away from all other faiths uh that i kind of feel that that's not well at least not my version of america you know uh freedom of religion to me at least within our constitution is freedom of religion notice it does not state any one particular religion it says religion but then again religion is man-made so i would rather say faith i respect all faiths i'm very eclectic and i i believe there needs to be more of a connect here in the states that mirrors that of all the european countries that we don't we don't have and unfortunately that also bleeds into the paranormal as well there's there's i find more people nowadays and not so much when it comes to being skeptics in the paranormal but i find more people that are just enthusiasts and they don't really understand the scientific methodology being applied to explain the paranormal they're just in it for the roller coaster ride as i like to call it and they've forgotten the whole point behind this and it's not necessarily just to prove the existence of the paranormal i think it's safe to say the three of us believe in the paranormal it's to exist it's, it's to show the integration between how our world merges with the paranormal right yeah definitely. um it's how we make sense of our own existence consciousness um path choices things like that and um, you know if our consciousness has longevity and um, you know then how does that impact, how does that impact us when we have corporeal form or is it that it's an interaction with other forces and other forms and you know it's a bit like the bowl and the cycle as i would say but yeah, i think right and i think when there's this this cohesion um together uh, with understanding not just you know being frightened because not all paranormal are terrifying yes there are as reported cases and death and horror and people are changed when they have a paranormal experience like changed and um, by it not all of them are negative some people are living haunted houses and are quite happy to live in haunted houses they take them as comfortable like that not all experiences in the paranormal are these big shocking dangerous um thrills some people are they just accept that there's there's things that they thought they didn't understand and now they've had an experience and it's maybe healing for them and you know not all people are traumatized by it and so maybe that stems from uh, understanding that you are it's not necessarily that you're not alone or that you go to somewhere after you die or that things go on because i think that's a desperately human need to understand that and um, but perhaps there are things before you and things after you you know time is a flat circle it's not the abc and um, i think altering your kind of consciousness and your knowledge of um, what you think your life is and what you think other people's life is not what matters i think essentially is the kind of overarching psychosocial and um, not agenda but um you know the psychosocial goal of of the paranormal and um, community um rather than as you say just being on a roller coaster of i want to be scared i want to see something mental and involved then you can watch you'll be entertained forever yeah. um but that's you know that's not you're, you're kind of missing the like the scientific principle the psychological principle, uh, spiritual principle, um, and all of that 
Just find it. All right. Um, so you, you've established you're a trench coat, you know, trend setter. Okay. And you're, you're also a fashionista as well. <laughs> um, because you know, some, some of the pictures we've seen here, um, amazing. Uh, and like you said, you, you're more into the forties, fifties look as well. And you're into the pagan way of life. And, and that's so interesting and fascinating because you blend the two parapsychology, which is supposed to be, you know, I need to think logically here and, and I need to break this down. But at the same time, you're, you're out there being, you know, everything for you're being you, which is really what there needs to be more of in the paranormal field nowadays what message do you want to give out to everyone out there listening before we have to let you go? Because unfortunately I wish we could have you on for four hours, but then you'd kind of get tired of us after a while because you're an extremely fascinating person. But before we let you go, we need to know what message you want to get out there the most out of your experience. Cause you're, you're, you're a young lad. I'll tell you right now. I'm, I myself, I'm a 53 year old man. I ain't getting younger but you, you're just starting out. What trend do you want to start setting out there in the paranormal field? So, I think it's my my, <clears throat> my, my overarching, I think, um, academic goal is looking at um, interactions between quantum physics and the supernatural. I know that's my academic focus that I believe that a lot of anomalous phenomena and perhaps some of the understanding of the hard problems of consciousness can be solved by exploring our quantum habits. I think as a parapsychologist, um, I, I want to stick it away from this, uh, this dichotomy that um, any kind of belief is just, okay, well, um, let's look at what if it was paranormal, what could it be, how could it be? Um, is, is unscientific. Um, I work in, in science, I have the same degrees, um, the same lectureship, the same um, published papers, we use the same peer review method, the same scientific method as, uh, as non-believers. Um, and so we have to get away from this right-wing, left-wing camp of non-believer or, or skeptic believer, as if those are two exclusive categories. Because there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are skeptics who want to believe um, and going straight into things and automatically going, it's not paranormal and I'm here to prove that it's not paranormal, no matter how much evidence that you give them. And I mean, Jesus Christ, there's cases I've worked on where people would have gone to jail for less burden of proof. Um, and that's bad science. If people have, if you rule out, out all of the explanations you've given, all of the physical explanations are non-paranormal ones, and then we go, okay, well, what if it is paranormal? Let's look at that. And you go, no, 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 that's bad science. You're not going where the um, you're not going where the evidence is telling you to go. You're trying to control it and dictate it, and that's not scientific. So we want to have your skeptics who are more receptive to applying science to paranormal, and for us, also as believers. Um, and <clears throat> just being as thorough as possible, ruling things out, working top down, 
kind of rural environmental factors, things like that. But I think we have to look at it that we have to get away from this like right wing, left wing, um, yes, no skeptic, this, this binary that exists in the sex for the love, um, that um, you know, we have to find some sort of middle ground that we're all kind of trying to work together to find the same thing because skeptics and believers want the same thing. They want to understand if the paranormal is real or not. So we have to work together instead of being each other's throats. Um, and then I think, as a person, my attitude is just uh, like I always say to people, people always ask me, they're like, how did, you know, how did you achieve so much? How do you do so many things like at such a, a young age and in such adverse circumstances? And I always tell them because I'm absolutely sorry. Um, I use every horrendous, horrendous thing that's ever happened to me, every adverse circumstance, every statistic that goes I couldn't do it, shouldn't have been here, I can't do these things. And I use that to fuel me. I am absolutely starving all the time for the next thing. And I use it to drive me all, all the time. I constantly say to people, I, I looked around and went, yeah, I'm not going to die here. Um, and you create that by, by doing that and motivating that. And just sort of, how did you get paranormal? How are you doing it so young? You know, how do you do it as a, as a woman? How do you do it in those circumstances? How do you do it coming from the social background you're coming from? And yeah, it, it is going to be a fight the entire time. But how hard are you? Because you've got two options. You can either die having not done it, or you can just shut the fuck up and do it. That's my attitude, basically. Like, you've got two choices. Either do it or don't do it. There's no, there's no try. I hate to go Star Wars, but there is no try. There's just people do not to me. And so I tell people all the time, if you want it, you better, you better be starving all the time. Every day, get up, get on it, and do it. And like, that's what I have done. And, and you know, the, there is no, nothing will be bestowed upon you. And if you want answers to these big questions and no one has answered them, then it's your job to go out there and answer them. Evelyn, by far, next to Johnny's office because he's my boss and, and I love the man and I've known him for over a decade. You are by far one of the best guests we have had i'd love to have you back on if possible if not this year maybe next year but i know it's difficult to explain the situation you know when it comes to you know not only time zone but you know you have to be mindful of, of your neighbors and whatnot but we would love to have you back uh because there's so many more questions i know vicky has a a, a book literally of yeah. questions <laughs> and literally and I, a book. I got <laughs> I got my pad over here too, and we got to find a way somehow. Maybe a pre-record. I don't know, but definitely we have to have you back on. What What's the best way to keep in touch with you uh, for everyone that's listening in right now? Keep track of you, and you know, take it from there. So I'm on all kind of social media. So most people talk to me. Twitter, that's where a lot of our fan base for our shows are. That's easy to talk to me, essentially, directly and ask questions. And um, so on Twitter, just at underscore Evelyn Hollow. I'm on Instagram, which is mostly where you'll see more of my personal life. I post a lot of stories, you know, pictures of what and things like that. So that's more me personally, at Evelyn Hollow. And then yesterday, I finally got bullied into making a TikTok. Um, so I have recently made one of those, and I'm going to use it to answer questions because uh, even though it's mostly trash. Um, a lot of people ask me questions that require quite a lengthy answer, and it's easier to make sure that about things 
like you know how did I become a parapsychologist what are the different types of chaotic paganism more personal questions as well people ask me you know what do you do as a witch what does your author look like like you know things like that. So I can make all yeah. these like little bits of content you know history of graveyards in Edinburgh and so that's what I'm going to do with that but yeah you know Twitter Twitter and Instagram and yeah no unfortunately TikTok, all, all places where all the rest I can hang out that's where you can get me and a book coming in 2024 right do yeah so i'm in the middle of writing it at the moment big hardback um it's going to be published in the uk america and new zealand in september next year so 2023 20, i don't actually know what you it's <laughs> 24 essentially um uh so next year yeah september next year here uk usa australia new zealand and then it will be translated into other languages worldwide it's a huge hardback book i can't tell you what it is yet i can't tell you that it's paranormal and, and that will be getting published on the press i will be looking forward to that book i will be buying it and when i do meet you please just autograph it just <laughs> <I'll buy> it. <laughs> <laughs> vicky uh anything you want to say before we let her go no, just thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I, I'm going to continue to watch every single podcast I can. <laughs> I'm definitely thank a fangirl. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to the Thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. And, you know, at some point, we'll get, to, we'll get to do it again when the magical schedules line up. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, Evelyn Hollow from Haunted Scotland, and uh, we will be right back after these few short words from our sponsors. So stick around. Don't go anywhere.
back and what an incredible interview as usual we we've had we started off the year with johnny zaffis and he's always amazing to have on the show dear friend of mine uh also a parapsychologist as well and our second guest uh worth the wait um evelyn hollow fascinating fascinating individual young woman starting off very very well in my opinion uh as a parapsychologist my goodness brains she's got beauty she's got everything going for her she's got a hit tv show and i i enjoyed just talking to her and getting her her you know take on everything paranormal what were your feelings on this one interview vicky uh i feel like this is just a little tiny bit of what, you know, I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to learn. I just think she's someone that I could learn so much from. And that's why I really have been trying to watch every single podcast that she was a guest on. And, um, you know, I really want to know more about her views on uh, the religion she practiced. And, you know, I even heard on this one interview her, she was talking about the full moon and it's relation or no, not related to um, activity and stuff like that. I mean, I think that you could throw any possible question at her and she's going to come up with a very intelligent answer. Yep. She's right on it every time. I've noticed in every single article and also podcast that I've heard her interviewed on, 
She knows her thing left and right, up, down, upside down, right side up. It, there, there's no contesting that. And we can actually say that she is a expert in the field of the paranormal because she is a parapsychologist. Um, oftentimes that word expert is thrown around way too much. The only the only people that I would consider would be Johnny Zaffis and Evelyn Hollow. And there's a few others right now, not off the top of my head that I can mention, but um, way too often do you, do you see expert thrown out there too much and it's by what someone that's been in the field for what three years uh 20 minutes 20 minutes even yeah if you're lucky 20 minutes but with her there was so much to learn you're correct not only on her faith but also her knowledge of how scientific methodology has been applied uh, to the paranormal through being a parapsychologist and how it intertwines with one and the other, plus plus the history that she has a plethora of in Scotland when it comes to the supernatural versus us. We, we've, we're just like a not even a drop in the bucket yet when it comes to the history that Scotland happens to throw their their weight around with. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I, one of the questions that I, maybe for the next show, when we were talking, when I asked about the frequency of poltergeist activity in the UK as opposed to America, she did mention that, you know, you see other types of activity more prevalent in the United States. I wanted to ask, well, what types of activity do you see? You know, from a researcher's standpoint, what do you see that we have more occurrences of as opposed to over in the UK? Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, I've come across a few poltergeist situations, but I think we we kind of like bridged that today, I would say, because it, it from what I surmised, everything that she was talking about, um, it comes down to activity. And how poltergeist activity tends to exist in, in not only spiritual, not only in, um, uh, you know, children going through adolescence and stuff like that, but also uh, demonic activity as well. She mentioned that as well. And maybe that's what she meant. I'm, I don't want to assume, but I, I, there's so much emphasis placed on demon this demon everything is called de demonic nowadays unfortunately and maybe that's what she was hinting to i guess there's only one way to find out and that's to have her back on the show but you know i can only hope and pray that we could do that even if it has to be a pre-record and we have her for two hours straight people can come around and watch what she had to say absolutely because people so, will still go on youtube and find it yeah exactly and and once again you know for anyone wanting to watch the video side of this interview which quite frankly was extraordinary in my opinion and and it had a lot of things the the pictures y'all missed the ones that are only you know listening to the show auto audibly which we happen to have a lot of followers there too but if you really want to catch what this show is all about go to youtube greetings from beyond radio on youtube subscribe and watch from episode one what, what, what was it called? 
remind me again, Vicky. Welcome, he- to, welcome to the dawn. There I won that arm wrestling. <laughs> I got my yeah, title like, for the first. I, I was one. so close. I was so close, and bam! All right, yeah, Vicky <laughs> won it. All right, and, and you know what? No, I, I, I honestly, I didn't care either way because it was a good title for for the first episode, and it happens to be up there as one of the most watched episodes and um it, it's just been growing steadily every single week um this is if i'm not mistaken and i think uh, our lovely um producer can actually help us with this i believe this is episode six if i'm not mistaken correct let's see if she's around i don't know i'm looking i'm looking i don't see her yes there she Episode six. Episode six, season one. Coolness. All right. We're well on our way. Um, and Jen, you know, herself is a Scottish pagan as well. And she was sitting there like this. I was because Scotland is one of the places to where most of my heritage is from. So it's always a dream to go there. Yeah, I'm Scottish too. So whichever you has the biggest suitcase, that's the one I'm getting in. Okay, <laughs> just saying. Uh, I'm telling you, Scotland is definitely a, a. It's so rich in history. Plus, just the you know, just see the castles, the 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 old cobblestones, the 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 buildings that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And to be able to step inside one of them and feel that, you know, dank humidity, cold to the bone feel. I love it. I just, I, I want more of that. It's better than what we have going on out there right now. It is like, I, I, I literally, I'm not kidding. I'd say there's about three feet of snow out there right now. Three freaking feet of snow. That is, that is paranormal. Well, I have a half an inch of sand. It's horrific. I have to fight my way to the car. It it crunches under my feet as I go past the palm tree, as I pre-start my car so the air's running before I get in there. It's horrible. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's no digging the car out right now. I'm going to have to wait at least three days and hope this. it's, It's been snowing since last night. And it's still snowing right now as we speak. This is ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm a Southern boy. I ain't used to this. Sorry. So it, it's a lot different here in the in the yeah, yeah. west and the north. West and the south is more like it because damn. I mean, I'm telling you, we've had some questions in um, going on in in the chat here and there, and I, I'm sorry I've missed See, a lot I, of them. I, Eileen. Hi, <laughs> Come on, Eileen. Oh, I, oh my God. I love you. I love you, Eileen. We love you, Eileen. We we have Beth as well. Thank you, Beth. High five to Jen and Vicky for us all having Scotland heritage. I yeah. think until I actually take that, you know, um, what is that? That the DNA thing or what's it called? Uh, well, your yours is the My Heritage. It goes oh, by your yeah. DNA and then tells you the percentage um, of where where you're from. Uh, the one that we did is we did the Ancestry.com one, but it only stemmed. 
I would say not even halfway through the heritage. Right. So we had to physically go and research each person, which let us, I'd say we stopped at Cleopatra um, and Mark, Mark Antony. And then from the, from them, it kind of stemmed off, but it went to, I would say a good 72% uh, Scottish and Irish. I can only hope. I, I, I know that my mine may be German and no, not, not Nazi German. Sorry. I hope not. Cause I, that is so far from where I, where, what I am anyways, but um, I'm going to find out soon, I guess I'm going to be getting a sample of, of that and sending it in and getting, getting to know me a little better. It's, it's fascinating when you actually find out um, the story behind who you are, um, how you were, how you came into existence through the line of people, um, much like mine, Mary Queen of Scots, and it goes on through many other people. Um, like I said, it was like 72 or 78% Scottish um, through my ancestry, but it's very fascinating to learn where I came from. And Vicky, what's your percentage when it comes to Scottish Scottish people? Um, it was sixty. I also have English. The English mostly comes from my mom's side, and um, I have Native American. It's Eileen, not you, Eileen. Uh huh. And I also have Native American <coughs> on my mom's side. Okay. I, I think Jen has Native American and on her side too. Yes. Um, it was Cherokee, I believe. Cherokee. Cherokee. So you see, I mean, I I don't know what I, I know that I'm Cuban, Spaniard. Uh, so, and my son, my son's actually came back and he was Cuban, Spaniard, Canary Islands, which happened to be around Spain anyways, but I'm, I'm next in line to do that. And there's a reason, there's a personal reason for it, because not knowing much about my dad, even though my dad and I spoke, uh, you know, we we were rather somewhat close. I never really got to know his side of the family. So um, it's my life's mission to find out more about his side of the family and find out what exactly where they came from. Eileen, he might. He, he, he might. Me, me, I clean up. There's no evidence. Oh. And I am not making a single comment on that one. <laughs> you know, you know, Eileen, if I could put you in the corner, I would. But you're all the way in Miss Frickin' Sippy. And that is punishment enough. I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But you go on. Anyways. And there uh, goes our numbers in Mississippi down the road. <laughs> Thanks a Be lot. nice. Be nice. We love Mississippi. Okay? Eileen started it. Okay. So anyways. You're um, both in the corner now. <laughs> anyway. Um, what did we learn? Having Miss, not Eileen Jones on the show, but <laughs> Evelyn Hollow. Dexter has taught a lot. Really? We're going to go there. We have learned. Yeah, we're, we're going there. The first okay. 48. Oh, there she is. Hi, baby. Hi. <laughs> All right, so 
what have we learned having Evelyn Hollow on the show? I already have my two cents, but ladies first. Go ahead, V. Well, I think it's very important. Like, I always knew, like the quote I said, you know, in the absence of normal, you have paranormal. In the absence of natural, you have supernatural. Agreed. But I learned from her, watching her, about things acting and coming from a molecular level and therefore not following the laws of science. So that gave me more. I always knew that it was functioning somewhere outside of the laws of science, but I didn't realize how. And so she gave me more perspective on how that happens. Having heard as many interviews as I did when it came to Evelyn, and also <coughs> reading a few articles here and there, the approach she takes is the approach that should be taken within the paranormal field. As a parapsychologist, you're supposed to approach everything as a skeptic. You need to prove it wrong. You need to find something wrong with what that individual or claims thereof that are being thrown out um, are not as it seems. That's That in itself is the problem. Why, why should we do that when it more than likely is? Now, of course, you have to eliminate the Captain Obvious, mental illness, abuse, PTSD, all these things, and then get to the meat of it. In other words, cut through the fat, get to the meat. But what I like about her is that she's willing to accept the whole thing at the same time and cut through it with the individuals or the case itself until she gets to the core of what is the actual cause of the phenomenon in question. Well, in the the what I found interesting in watching other interviews when she got into the details of the Battersea poltergeist case, um, which is still unsolved. No one has ever been able to, you know, put a finger on what caused it. Was it fake? Was it real? Um, she did adamantly say it was real to her and her investigations and all the things that she went through. It was real. I think what happens with some cases is you have, some things that someone might embellish or even lie or fake about that is mixed in with the truth as well. So when you go in, you have to dig through all of that to figure out how much of this is real, how much somebody is made up or embellished and things like that. Now, when you were talking about Captain Obvious and the mental illness, um, I have found activity around people who are mentally ill Mm -hmm. um, that are a little more prominent. So the having mental illness involved in a case does not exclude it being paranormal. It may change how you look at that person's perspective or on the activity it. or right. approach. And, but it doesn't exclude just because you have someone who's suffering from mental illness. That doesn't mean that there's not something paranormal going on. Well, they're, they're, in their lives, how we approach the, situ the situation. We're not isolating individuals and in, that have mental illness and saying, no, 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 sorry, you don't have any, uh, any paranormal situation going on here. But we also have to address it and then also go as far as saying, how are we going to address also the paranormal activity going on? around this individual that does take medication for it is going to threat to to therapy for and that's where it gets really really delicate it's like walking on eggshells 
because one wrong word, one wrong thing, it could be PTSD, it could be depression, it could be a, a medley of things. And you could actually trigger that illness to actually interfere with the investigation itself. So you have to be careful how you approach everything when it comes down to that. Wouldn't you agree with that, Vicky? And I'm, I'm sure you've had a situation like that. I can speak of one myself too, after you're done. I, I have multiple cases where a person had something going on, on um, a mental illness level. And, but the activity that was going on, I, I personally feel that you have higher incidences of paranormal activity when you have someone who does suffer from mental illness. One of the reasons is I think you have a lot of accounts in particular is that our brains are designed to protect us. Yes. And one way to protect us is for us not to see these things. But if you are suffering from some type of chemical imbalance or you've been exposed to trauma or anything that makes you highly sensitive, you can actually see these things. And then the people call someone in, hopefully someone reputable, and the person realizes that there's multiple layers going on and there's multiple things. Just like cases I've been brought in where the person um, was heavily into hallucinogenic drugs. I couldn't even do anything to that point unless they went to rehab and got help. It would be kind of like sweeping cockroaches out because they wanted me to do a cleansing. And I'm like, uh, it's kind of like sweeping cockroaches out the door instead of killing them. Okay. Um, so people need to make sure they choose wisely when they're picking someone to help them. And, they also need to, if they're, if they have a team and the team has come in and they're listening to them and they're trying to debunk every single thing that comes out of the person's mouth while they're still telling their story, you don't need that team either. You need to let the person tell their story because most of these people, if nothing else, they want an ear. They want someone to hear them. And if you have, if you call some team in and, and as soon as you're telling your story, they're saying, oh, well, that was this and that was that and that was that. Say bye-bye. Tell them, great, thanks for coming. I'll talk to you later. Agreed 100%. I have found uh, many teams that I've worked with over the years that I've consulted with as either a paranormal investigator or as a demonologist. During the interview process, they're, I, I, I noticed they're, they're not even bothering to write it down, which is really the most discreet way of doing things. As they write down the question they asked and they write down the answer given, they're, they're actually, you know, deciding in, in, in pen and pa pen to paper, but also verbally telling the person, eh, did you think that maybe it could have been the air conditioning or maybe it could have been the ice maker? Maybe it could have been this, maybe that. That's not your job yet. You know what? Make notes. That's what this is for. Make notes. And as they tell you their story <clears throat> of what they've gone through, put everything to the test afterwards. Don't, don't demean them. Don't make them feel like they are crazy. And what they're going through is already being explained away because you're Mr. Know-it-all. I got news for you. You want to be Mr. Know-it-all? That's how you're going to lose clients. 
That is how you're going to lose respect in this field. Part of being a paranormal investigator, part of being a demonologist, and this is something I've learned more so as a demonologist than a paranormal investigator, is you have to listen to what that person is saying. And then after you've listened to everything they've had to say, you've taken notes, you have to go through the proper protocols of either proving or disproving what their claims are. That's the way it should be. And just like Vicky said earlier, if you have someone already saying, yeah, no, I think it was this. Uh, no, maybe it was this. No, I think you're wrong. Move on. You have to go to the next person because you are doing more damage to yourself listening to this person. And this individual obviously does not know what they're doing or this, or the team in general. I've always said this, and Vicky agrees with me. We play more the part of a therapist nowadays as paranormal investigators, and we do paranormal investigating. Yeah. And my team, we had a practice. Um, I do have a minor in psychology, so I look at things from a psychological standpoint. I always had a, a registered nurse on my team to be able to look at there was one case i'll never forget it actually came from florida ghost team it was in my early days of point and it was a little old man and i don't know if if they were too busy or something but they gave us the case and we investigated and what our registered nurse noticed and when she interviewed and spent some time with the gentleman is he was in the first stages of dementia and we said, listen, can you please, we, we really would love for you, after we got through with everything, we'd really love for you to go and get checked out by the doctor. And, you know, then we'll go from there. He did. They put him on medication. I tell you, that gentleman sent me an email once a month for a year plus thanking us for pointing him in the right direction. There you go. Uh, we have a lot of questions here in the chat, of course, uh, Miss Eileen Jones. And also, uh, hello from Lisa Marie. Hello, right back, Lisa. Thank you for watching the show. We really appreciate you being on here. Um, uh, we are being asked to do a recap. Um, and the recap... How do you want to get started on this recap, V? Because to be honest with you, there's so much to cover. Even though we didn't cover enough, I, I wasn't kidding when I said we need at least four hours. And we did cover a lot in, in the short, you know, not really hour that we had Evelyn on the show. But where do we start? Well, I'll give you my fangirl Reader's Digest version. Oh, okay. here we go. Here okay. we go. So we <laughs> wait, had... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. I know, I, I wish I had a hat. Okay. Okay, so mm -hmm. we were fortunate enough to have an extremely intelligent, a highly educated, and a very respected female parapsychologist on our show who spoke the truth in an intelligent way. So Eileen, you're just going to have to watch back from the beginning after we get through with the live. Yeah, I agree. And, and let me tell you something. Um, when I first saw Haunted Scotland, I, I, I was impressed by everyone. Don't get me wrong. Everyone had something to bring when it came to that show. But the fact that 
Evelyn's credentials was as a parapsychologist. Mind you, not many parapsych female parapsychologists in the paranormal field to begin with. It's it's the grand majority of it is covered by males, and I was impressed. Here's this young lady. She's a she has her master's in parapsychology. That's impressive, and that in itself was what stood out. Then I started noticing how she actually investigated. And I was like, that's how I freaking investigate. So she she doesn't throw anything out. She listens to everything that has to be said. There's one episode, I wish I could remember the the, the actual episode in, in the, the first season, where they actually did deal with elementals in Scotland in a freaking castle. Vicky, I'm telling you right now, you got to watch that one. I don't know if you have Discovery Plus, but you got to watch it. And of course, it, I have Discovery Plus. Okay, they well, have sister wives on there. Duh. <laughs> who would watch that crap? Well, then I'm a. Hey, You're I, in Utah. Hey, watch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm good. Uh, I'll just stick to the paranormal side of things. Thank you very much. And uh, crimes and unsolved crimes. Um, but. The, that, that one episode was amazing, and I believe um, Chris Fleming was dealing with a... Did you hear it? that? Eileen, did you hear that? Unsolved Crimes? Eileen? Eileen? What? New comments? I, I missed... Uh, unsolved, you said Unsolved Crimes. What? Oh. You're going you're gonna to watch that? Oh, oh, no, wait, 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 no. Your light bulb is really dim right now. No, 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 wait, no. She's talking about unsolved mysteries. And Beth is the one that actually made that comment. Yeah, I, no, no. You said yeah. unsolved crimes. Is there going to be an unsolved crime? Oh, my God. <laughs> Where he left DNA? Stay tuned for next episode, episode seven. Where's Rich? I hope you like having a shaved head because you're, and yeah, keep some of the hair and put it down as a beard and a mustache. We'll see what happens. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but again, th that one episode was fascinating because they, you know, Chris Fleming, which is the, the psychic medium there, actually made contact with Faye. I believe it was a pixie, if anything. At least that's what he called it. And it kept interacting with them throughout the whole show and i was like wow this is this is fascinating um it 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 did there was some shades of human spirits that were found that, there but not to ruin it for everyone they did come in contact with elementals yeah and and i'm telling you of all the things that i've come in contact with my relationship with i call them nature spirits but it's you can put whatever title you want on them of course um you know those are some of the most magical and I feel, well, I feel privileged that human spirits speak to me, but to have something so old and ancient and at one point universally accepted as elementals and nature spirits, I, I, it really makes me feel absolutely blessed to be able to see them 
and to figure out who they are, what they want. And like I said, that, that experience where a whole group of them came to comfort me after my mom's death, there, there was, I, there's nothing I've ever experienced that's like that. And I always tell people, you know what? You cannot believe me. You can think I'm crazy, but you're never going to experience magic if you don't believe in it. True. And they exist. And, and, and maybe what we perceive to be magic to them is something as natural as you and I talking or walking or whatever. It's just different for us because we don't experience it on a regular basis. Or do we? We just don't know what to look for nowadays. Because okay. we unfortunately have technology that distracts us every single day of our lives. And that in itself is enough for us to wonder, was that a magical moment? Was, was that something supernatural or I, I have no idea but we, we we really have to take a gander into into looking into these things in in a different lens i would have to say because we're so used to looking at it from the skeptical lens which we do to an extent we have to when we're dealing with individuals going through these phenomenons but i like her approach i like evelyn's approach when it comes to how she approaches everything one thing i did want to ask her and it happened to be in my long list of, of questions that I have here and was, I, I, I know that as a parapsychologist, you have to approach everything in a controlled environment. Okay. Usually a, a lab and, and you, you bring in psychic mediums, uh, individuals that have psychos, psychokinesis, you ha they have, uh, precognition, all these things going on. And you, you, you then, you know, test them to see if they have these abilities. How would that work for someone like you? Would you, would you actually put yourself up there for, you know, testing? Only if I knew that I could ultimately help somebody because I've gone through the testing. Um, I always say that I don't do what I do for show. Right. Um, the best readings you're going to get are someone who actually needs something uh, and, and they need some answers uh, the worst readings are the ones that sit down and say, oh, well, I don't know. Just tell me what you get. Um, because to me, that means it's not really, it's not, they're not doing it for a purpose. And I have to do what I do for a purpose. And that purpose is either I'm working for the spirit or I'm working for the person or I'm working for both. Um, I would have no problem being tested as long as it led to me helping somebody. So your trigger would be helping people. Yes. So it doesn't have to be like, okay, what's behind card number one? Yeah. If that that's, that's not, not going to help. Yeah. If that's not, <clears throat> if you want to test me and then I know at the end of all this, you're going to let me help people. Then I would go through your tests. Talking but, about that. Sorry to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead toss it out there what you do and how you help people people are going to want to get some some readings from you i know they will well i am a psychic medium i do phone readings i do in-person parties um, i'm currently doing a promotion um, here it's local though you have to be in palm beach county and i'm doing a discounted price because i want to be able to offer group readings in 
several different fashions where the person who's hosting it can choose if I'm going to do it, you know, A, B, or C. So I'm working on having multiple options for that. And um, I do have some very loyal therapists who, if they are talking to someone that is, uh, you know, for grief counseling, and they seem to have stumbled upon a roadblock, and if the person's over open to it, they'll refer them to me um, to try to, you know, get over that. I also, you know, there's times, there are some readings, I tell everybody at the beginning of the party, hey, you're either going to walk out of here thinking on the best things in sliced bread, or you're going to be like, well, at least the snacks were good. Because every person's reading is different. It depends on the energy you're bringing in. It depends on, because I'm not going to make anything up. So if you're asking me a specific question and I don't get it, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't get it. I'm I'm not making anything up. So if anyone does want to schedule a phone reading, or if you're in Palm Beach County and you want to schedule a party, um, you can go ahead and send me an email. It's running across the bottom. Uh, it was. It's nancy38drew at aol.com, or you can find me on Facebook, Readings by Vicky, V-I-C-K-I-E, because apparently there's someone V-I-C-K-Y, which you can tell because I have more followers and I have more reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend Vicky. She is extremely good at what she does. This is a gift. And uh, I've, I've, lost count of how many times she's been able to actually help people with her gift and that's priceless in my opinion because when you finally get the answers you're looking for or the answers you never expected but they do answer your questions isn't that what you were looking for in the first place yeah it's it's answers to questions why keep asking questions if you're not going to get answers so if you have any need or any kind of guidance when it comes to the spirit realm that's the lady to go to right there so make your appointment while you can and in fact you know when it comes to making invitations also to whomever that decides to chime into youtube and put their two cents worth and say i want a reading it ain't for me it's for vicky but make sure that you leave a comment and you subscribe on in order to leave a comment on our youtube page greetings from beyond radio and she will get back to you and she'll let you know yes no maybe i don't know it's up to her and you might be one of the lucky ones that i just pick and i go you know what yours are free i'm giving you 15 minutes for free it's all about commenting liking subscribing and having that interaction on youtube that's important too also i'm going to put out there if you are a paranormal team and you do not have a resident psychic medium, I do that remotely for free. Um, All you have to do is send me pictures of the property, the different rooms, and I do a virtual walkthrough and tell you what I think is going on. Sometimes people during a reading, they may not ask for it, but you know, I run across a ghost or something like that, something similar. And, um, you know, if I think they can handle it, I go ahead and tell them that I also, by the way, you have this spirit that, you know, sits in the living room and uh, stuff like that. Like, oh my gosh, I knew there was a reason why that was blah, blah, blah. So um, if you're a team and you don't have a resident psychic medium or you, you know, yours is hit or miss, uh, again, you can contact me with the same email, nancy38drew at aol.com, and I will be glad to help your team for free. 
and she's damn good at it. I've had her do that for me several times on a few investigations, and she's been spot on. Hello, Katie. How are you doing, love? All the way to Canada. Thank you uh, for chiming in. Irene Takura, it's been, what, two weeks since we last heard from you. Welcome back. Uh, and also Stephen Woodward, he always has questions. You know that, Vicky. He has questions, always. I don't know what the questions are. I'm trying to get a paranormal team together. You know, the best way to get a paranormal team together, and Stephen, I, I, uh, I would wager to say if you if you yourself have experience as a paranormal investigator make sure that you find others that have some paranormal uh experience and if you do have to do training make sure that you do the training not in grave sites that's so cliche get over that uh go to places that may the owners of the abandoned location doesn't mind you poking around at night make sure you get invested wait no 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 ah. Wait, make sure you get permission to go in there, but at the same time, be aware that there's always dangers in abandoned locations. But if you also have uh, the experience to go in and deal with clients, because that's a very, very sensitive situation where you're dealing with clients, you have to deal with them on a personable basis. This is not an experiment. This is not for, you know, just show uh, or a hobby. You're there to help people in need. And if you're going to bring people in that are new to this, make sure that they sit back, watch, take notes. Okay? This. It's important. It's very important. But, Stephen, I'm sure, I, I hope that you find what you're looking for. I really do. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have to rebuild a team. I should have said. Okay. So, you obviously well, know. My... Um... I'm not into, I don't, I've never done the graveyard abandoned building thing. I'm fortunate enough to have a training house, a house that um, the person has consistently let me bring people throughout the years because there's always something in or out at that house. So we're able to use a house that has known activity uh, where I train people. And right. also you need to make sure that the person joining realizes that first investigation they need to know how much work they're going to do. If they have an hour's worth of audio, it's probably going to take them three to four hours to go over it properly to make sure that they didn't miss anything or if they have any EVPs to make sure that they can validate them. So they need to realize it's not just as we used to call them weekend warriors. The week, the work goes throughout the work week because you have to go over that evidence and you have to do everything that you're supposed to because remember these are people and these are scared people or people that are looking for answers you can't this isn't fun and games you also need to know what you're looking for there's so many people out there nowadays that um they they only go by what they see on social media and a lot of what's floating out there on social media is not really what it seems um you need to have a lot of, i would say proper training into what to look for not only visually but audibly as well and the phenomenon that's taking place and how it's what it's stemming from and why uh oftentimes people tend to lose sight of these very important ingredients to a case so individuals like vicky and myself that have good experience on having to deal with what to look for make sure you know 
and this is directed to Steven. And I, I, I hope that he can actually uh, find the right people to reform his team. Yeah. And you'll know it too. I know that I think it was Irene said that she was looking for people too, but in Japan, people kind of steer away from the paranormal. Yeah. Yeah. And she um, also mentioned something about like, like energy, I think. And that's the thing through the years, I've had the people who have been with me the entire time. Um, but you will find different combinations of people are going to, I have had team members in the past that I call them paranormal repellent because whenever they were in a room, there was no way you were getting any evidence. You weren't getting a single EVP, nothing was going to happen. And then you end up, you know, having the right combination sometimes. So remember um, those people who are forming teams or reforming teams find it doesn't have to be exactly the right energy. I always had at least two hardcore skeptics, like hardcore, um, because they always kept us grounded. Because I would always have, you know, somebody that might be a believer, somebody that might be mid-row, and then I had my really hard-nosed skeptics. And they keep you grounded. But you will find energy is important. All types. Um, it, it's you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Usually the ones that you, you called the, the, uh, what were they? Paranormal repellent re <laughs> repellents are the grounders and those are needed. And, and don't, don't think for one minute that she's, she's casting shade on you guys. Um, no, uh, there are times when there are people I, I had I had them and have them still on my team to where you need to have those grounders because sometimes you get you get way out there and you get too involved in what's going on spiritually. You need someone to be able to bring you right back down to ground zero. And those are what she referred to as paranormal repellents, but I call them grounders. I'm nicer than Vicky when it comes to that, but you know, <laughs> Hey, they used to get so mad at me. We had a few on the team and I'd be like, okay, Bobby Joe, you're going in with such and such. And she's like, why do you always send me in? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get any evidence. I'm like, Hey, everybody's got to take their turn. It's all good. Hello to Laura. How are you? And I know Laura was on when we had uh, Evelyn hollow on and she was like, amen. Hallelujah. And all that stuff. And let me tell you, Thank you for, for the support um, when it comes to that, Laura. Uh, we've also had, um, let's see, I'm going way, way up here. I think here. Elena Lisa, was on there. Elena just came in. Lisa Marie. Uh, Vicky is doing a reading at my house Saturday. Can't wait. It's yes. A it's a party. All right. Who's bringing the Kool-Aid? Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, you're going to have a good old time. I promise you, Lisa Marie. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to go to one of those parties when I get back down to Florida, uh, later on this year, but, um, um excuse me? What? 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 Are you, what? Are you trying to party crash? I, I was going to bring quiche. You're bringing quiche? Yeah. No? no. Doritos? What? Chips no. and dip? What? Ch uh, I'll settle on chip and dip. You okay. better bring people. Why? So Ooh. just gr grab them. Well, <laughs> Irene's got some Japanese moonshine for us. 
Now it's a party. Start sending that over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start seeing spirits then. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but yeah. And Irene is representing, you know, Japan Tokyo. for us. Yes. And when um, you sent me the demographics of the people who are downloading, yes, we are international. Like yeah, I man. was impressed at all the I different know. countries that are tuning in. Yo, Belgium has a thing for gfb radio what the heck man they they're waffling us <laughs> wow oh thank you Dad belgium jokes. love you right back thank you so much for the downloads you guys rock um and there you go laura she'll go you know is she a party crasher no <laughs> you are you always <laughs> invite yourself I, I don't think laura's a party crasher i think she's actually being you know like, I, I want to join in. I want to join in. You know, Stephen, That's where it. do you live? Thirty-five <laughs> percent proof for that moonshine. <laughs> uh, uh, Let's see if Stephen Stephen gonna put where he lives. Laura's a natural. Okay. But yeah, for sure. I guess I'll have you over. Oh, gee, thanks. Wow, really? For reals? Yeah, after I glue everything down. <laughs> Good God. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> it seems to be a lot of people. I wish everyone could have chimed in, but you know, uh, oh, Jen wants one for her too. Well, okay, yeah, but. You know, Jen, you, you got to come down. New, New Mexico. Mexico. Wow. Well, you're you're closer than me. Yeah, he's closer to us than than uh, than to you. Yeah. So he's all the way up on the on the west coast here. Um, you know these parties. Uh, can you do these parties virtually, or do they have to be in person? You know, it's so funny. You might be psychic because I'm actually doing my first Zoom party on the 28th. Um, someone uh, contacted me from another state and they're like, do you ever do anything like this? I'm like, you know what? I've never done it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to suspend my fees and you guys can give me a love donation, whatever you want to do. And um, we are going to have our first Zoom party on the 28th. All right. So tell you what we're going to do. Everyone go to YouTube and put down that you want a virtual party psychic party okay from vicky and she will start planning from that point on and oh party at jen you know we already got a party going on here and it's like way too many people in the house but well i'm sure vicky will arrange something for you because she loves you and she she let me tell you by the way ladies and gentlemen oh but uh i'll be in new orleans during our fear fest Paracon in October. Hmm. I envy you. I've been to I've been to New Orleans, and let me tell you something. It is amazing. It is amazing. Go to the cemetery while you're there if you have time. Trust me, uh, Elena. If it works out, I know some people that's been wanting to do a group reading virtual with you. There you go. You already got. Pshoo. All right. Well, I'll let you know how it works out. Like I said, I suspended my fees for my first one, and they're just going to, whatever they give me as a love donation, I I will 
graciously take it and hope it works out great. But I'm hoping to give people a variety of ways that they can, you know, interact with me. I know there's some people that say, how can you do it if you're not looking at them? I mostly do phone readings where I'm not looking at somebody. I've even done readings exclusively through text messaging and I didn't have any contact. I didn't hear their voice or anything like that. So anything's possible. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to cut this out. And in the sense of, you know, we got to cut out and next week, join us again, same time, same bat channel. And remember, if you want one of those virtual parties, leave your message in YouTube, greetings from beyond radio. And as I always end every single one of these videos, live life, don't live life, live you and peace, be still.